there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Good morning. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. It's been a tough week uh, in the market. It's been a very, very tough week in the markets. It is the month of October, and every now and then it gets spooky. Uh, it's normal. It's healthy until it arrives, and all of a sudden we say, what is going on? Uh, you know, Jack, it's amazing because uh, when, when markets cascade, um, as they have, uh, this month, I shall say, in, in actually a relatively slow and orderly fashion. But it uh, has been relentless and persistent. It really has. You've not had a lot of updates at all for the S&P. I think you've like had you four, four. four updates uh, for the S&P this month. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But uh, all of a sudden, um, our amygdala in our brain, which is our defensive part of our brain, uh, kicks into overdrive. And we get uh, very, very uh, protective and defensive. And, well, we don't want to go shopping. Um, and so, look, we got Brian Reynolds on the line. Uh, Brian Reynolds is, is Canaccord's asset class strategist. Uh, very, very unique uh, position. I've never heard of a uh, brokerage firm having an asset class strategist. But uh, Brian brings a very fresh view on the equity markets and the credit markets, for that matter. In other words, uh, the debt markets. Uh, so, so, Brian, welcome back to the show. Appreciate you spending some time with us here on Hi-Fi Radio. Good morning. Good morning, Brian. Again, we've got Brian Reynolds. He's in Boston working with Canaccord Genuity, an asset class strategist who pays attention to the credit markets. Now, um, at nauseum, Brian, you've been sharing with us on, on our conference calls and, and, and on air as well that we are in the greatest credit boom in history. Um, and that's supposed to make us feel good. Uh, but uh, tell you, the month of October has not been uh, pretty. The NASDAQ is down uh, in, in official correction territory, falling uh, over 10%. Uh, so credit, schmet it. Uh, why does it matter? Well, the credit market has led to stock buybacks, which have driven this bull market for the last nine and a half years. But within that bull market, there have been 35 pullbacks where people have panicked in the stock market. And they panic, They mark those panics by inverting what's called the VIX curve. In other words, when stocks go down like they've gone down this month, people get so panicked about the downside that they pay up for short-term protection when longer-term protection is cheaper. So, th- so they're more That's- fearful for the short-term than they are over the long-term. That's what you're saying, Brian? Exactly. And so we, once these panics crest, the buybacks kick in because they're fueled by the debt market and stocks go back to the highs. So what I'm wrestling with is whether this is a one-month or two-month thing or a three- or four-month correction. I don't think this is the start of a bull market because the credit market is fueling even more deals as we speak, and that's unusual because during these stock market panics, usually the credit market shuts down for a week or two. In this downturn, the credit market has seen more deals with companies coming to the credit market looking to borrow money to either fund buybacks or mergers or their operations, and credit investors are showering them with money. That tells me this is more of a short-term phenomenon than the start of a new bear market. So as they shower them with money, they don't have egregious terms, like they're not looking for higher interest rates or uh, exceptional covenants on this debt? Like, is it still pretty easy money that they're getting? It's a mix. It depends how risky the company is. If you're a high-quality company and there have been some high-quality banks that have come to the credit market to borrow, they get to borrow on very easy terms. For example, we loaned mo- credit investors loaned money to Barclays Bank yesterday at a spread of just 10 basis points over LIBOR. 
If credit investors felt that a disaster was coming, they would not lend money to Barclays at any spread, let alone just 10 basis points over LIBOR. So that's consistent with this being a short-term pullback, with stocks eventually recovering somewhere between one and four months down the road. Yeah, for those who don't know, by the way, the LIBOR is the London interbank rate. It's the rate that banks can uh, borrow from one another. Uh, it, the, the, basically, the, the number is similar to prime. Uh, so we just took our interest rates up here a little bit here in Canada. Prime, The bank prime is now too. So, hey, speaking of which, um, Brian, uh, let, let me diverge for a second here because uh, Jack and I chatted about this this, this week. It's a very, very good point. And the point is... Um, are you better, from an equity perspective, to be in a rising interest rate environment or a falling interest rate environment? Oh, I think rising rates is better for equities. If you look at the three modern credit booms that began in 1991, those credit booms intensified when rates went up. The Fed went from 3 to 6% in 1994. In 2005, they began to go from 1% to 5 and a quarter. Each of those credit booms saw better results for equities after rates began to rise because that's when those credit funds have to put on more risk to make their desired returns. Interesting. It's also important to note that you're rising rates from very low levels. So uh, the Fed is still relatively accommodative, although they're tightening. And they're not raising rates because of fear of inflation. Uh, they're worried about the fact that we're at historic lows for unemployment down in the U.S. So their their economy is basically at capacity yeah. and getting better. It's still getting better because the earnings are still rising. So so another point that I want to talk about share buybacks because that, that's really your thesis, Brian. Uh, companies are able to borrow money at very attractive levels. Uh, a lot of lenders willing to give it to them. And as such, they're using some of that money to buy back stock. You believe that the bull market that we have witnessed since 2009 has not been driven by retail for sure, but been, been driven by corporations buying back their own shares, pushing markets higher. And so at, at what point do they stop doing this, Brian? And you can tell me when the credit market shuts down, I guess, when they can't borrow money? Exactly. And the credit market shuts down two years after the yield curve inverts. That's when short-term yields exceed long-term yields. That throws shadow banking into reverse, which means there's no more money for buybacks. There's no more money for LBOs. In the two years after the yield curve inverts, you typically see a lot more LBOs because shadow bankers will finance those deals at more excessive valuations. Yeah. We're not close to inverting the curve yet, which means that this bull market likely has a ways to go. Yeah, so how many years do you think, because, again, we're getting questions from clients, uh, you know, is, is this the big one coming? Uh, is it time to exit? I'm even hearing uh, Jim Cramer say on CNBC that, you know, we're getting very point to a point where we actually take cash to maximum levels. He says we're not there yet, but, again, I'm saying, what, you're waiting for the market to fall another 5 or 10%, then raising cash to maximum levels? That doesn't seem prudent to me. So so I guess my point to the matter is, Brian, you, you don't think there's a bear market around the corner, do you, beginning in, in October of 2018? Absolutely not. I don't. The, the, the work I do in credit shows me this cycle has another three to five years left to go. We're not close to inverting the yield curve, the Treasury yield curve. In this cycle, banks are buying Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac debt more aggressively than they're buying Treasuries. So I think the more important curve is the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac yield curve. That's steeper than the Treasury curve. So this cycle is likely to go on longer than most people think. And then when that Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac curve inverts, most likely one to three years down the road, that will probably launch a two-year wave of LBOs where companies get taken out at premium valuations because banks will take that money and put it to work in credit. 
fueling stock valuations. Then at that point, I think we'll have a credit crisis. But I think that's ways down the road. Brian, I have a lot more questions I have to ask you. So can you do me a favor, stick around? Uh, we're going to run a few commercials, pay some bills, and get right back with Brian Reynolds. He's our asset class strategist here at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. You are listening to Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein. Jack Hartle is in the studio. And, well, Brittany the Butcher is passing off her duties uh, to the new fella. We'll talk with him maybe later as well. Right here on Hi-Fi Radio. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio. Yes, that song goes out to our, shall I say, chief engineer of the show, Jeremy Bear is his last name. Uh, Brittany the Butcher passed off her duties to Jeremy the Bear. And uh, no, it's not a bear market. A little Jeremy, that's all. Uh, We have Brian Reynolds on the line. He's in Boston. He is our uh, asset class strategist. Uh, Brian says no bear market for a few years. It's been a near panicky month, uh, and it ain't over yet. I guess the fat lady hasn't sung yet. Uh, I think the fat lady perhaps could, in fact, be uh, the midterm elections, uh, Brian. Uh, do, do you pay any uh, he, uh, credence uh, to stuff like uh, political reign, midterm elections uh, in, in your work? That can have a short-term impact on stocks because there may be a change of control in at least one of the houses of Congress in the U.S. Yep. But if you look at the long-term trend of the stock market, if you put a if you put the S&P 500 on a log scale going back nine and a half years, the trend is unchanged from Obama to uh, Trump. In fact, we started doing this under Bush the first, then we did it under Clinton, then we had a disaster, then we did it under Bush the second, we had a disaster, and then we did it under Obama, and now we're doing it under Trump. In other words, shadow banking doesn't really care who's in the Oval Office. It's more a function of spreads. And as long as the yield curve is positive, we're in a credit boom. Yeah, again, I'll go through this with the audience. Positive yield curve means short-term interest rates are lower than long-term interest rates. The interest rate price chart goes out 30 years, uh, and so interest rates are plotted. And just think of uh, lower left to upper right, upward sloping like a little ski hill. Uh, and that's where interest rates should be. That's normal. In other words, the longer you borrow or lend money, the greater the risk for repayment. And as such, people want a higher rate of payment. Part of that, of course, is inflation unknown, so they place price against some inflation in the future, yada, yada, yada. So upward sloping yield curve is normal. What happens is when they want to take juice out of the system, the Fed, which is the central bank that controls it all, raises short-term interest rates. And if they get above long-term interest rates, they choke off lending, which means mom and pa can't borrow money readily. And if they do so, they can be at a much higher rate. And we are seeing rates ratchet up in Canada. Uh, again, if you are a debtor, beware. Uh, we probably have two more rate hikes coming next year. Um, and again, the Canadian banks responded instantaneously uh, taking up what, Jack, their prime lending rates uh, as soon as they had a whiff that the Bank of Canada raised rates. So yeah, as it, soon as Bank of Canada raises, the banks don't wait they don't waste any time, that's for sure. So so you know my, my next point to all this, Brian, is with with the equity volatility and again stock markets and, and, and our markets, financial paper markets, uh, we price this stuff every single day. And there's now a phenomenon of, of machines kicking in. Do you want to talk a little bit to that about the machine selling? Really 
explain to us how that works and where mankind has his finger on that button because ultimately I believe the machines are programmed and uh, data entered by human beings. Uh, I.e., if, if, if a price hits this level, sell. If a price hits this level, sell some more and vice versa on the up on the uptick. Uh, so again, this week we, we've heard commentators state, you know, it's no longer the traders, it's now the machines are taking over and that's why you get these quick swooshes down. Do you want to speak a bit to that, Brian? You made an excellent point, is that every machine that trades stocks is programmed by a human. Most equity investors are bearish. They have been throughout this bull market. It's been financial engineering, debt-fueled buybacks that have taken stocks higher. So when a human programs a machine to trade, they bias it to the downside. That's why you get these sharp drops in stocks that panic everybody. But again, but sorry, Brian, Brian, I want to interrupt you. I apologize because you said something that's absolutely brilliant. You just taught me something. Explain to me, when humans program these machines, you say they have a bias to the downside. What does that mean? That means most people don't want to own stocks. They can't believe that stocks have outpaced the economic fundamentals. But the thing is, our credit market in the U.S. has outpaced the economy. That's why the stock market has grown faster than the economy. Most people don't want to believe that, and so they program their models to the downside as opposed to the upside. <laughs> and, uh, so you, get these, you get these periodic drops in stocks. It's, it's also a reason, machines, Brian, I was to say, it's also a reason that they don't believe it, that they've underperformed the market for this whole bull market. So since exactly. 2009, a lot of investors have not participated in this because, you know, they, they still reflect back in 2009 and then they still remain bearish. And those machines, those algorithms they, they, uh, that they uh, produce, they're tilted to the downside. That's why this bull market has been driven by stock buybacks. It's companies accessing the bond market to get money to buy their stock back. So now, Brian, I want, I want to get, I want to kick in right here. So I got two quick questions, interest of time. So uh, there, there's a phrase going on the street right now that there has been a blackout on buybacks due to earnings season. Is that true? Can companies not buy their own stock back while they are reporting earnings? And if that's the case, when does that window close? I when do the desks, the buyback desks, as we call them, who are buying back the GM stock or the GE stock or the Ford stock, those big multinational companies, when do those desks kick back into the gear? Because good Lord knows we need them. Some companies are prevented from buying stock back during their quiet periods, but the Dodd-Frank legislation that was enacted in the U.S. actually encourages banks that run their buyback desks to do it during quiet periods. So to me, that's not an issue anymore. It's not. Okay, so then the next question to you is, um, mutual funds, do many of them have their quarter end, end of October? And if so, is there that phenomenon of tax loss selling taking place, um, perpetuating the downward draft right now? Because I know tax loss is a year-end phenomena, but I think in America there's also different quarter ends and as such, a, a, a two rounds of tax loss, true or false? And please, if true, extrapolate. There are different quarter ends. The October quarter, quarter end is an important one for mutual funds. What's probably more important is the shift from active to passive. In other words, investors have been selling actively run mutual funds and replacing them with ETFs. That forces mutual funds to sell stocks. You know, it's funny, Brian. Let me, I'm going to throw a guess and then we have to go here. But Jack and I did a bit of homework. In terms of uh, market um, uh, share, mutual funds versus ETFs, do you know what the difference is? In other words, uh, of money being managed, what percentage of that is being managed in ETFs versus mutual funds? Well, in the last three years, we've seen a decline in mutual fund assets 
and that's been matched almost dollar for dollar with an increase in ETF assets. Yeah. So ETFs are now a little bit more than than mutual funds are. Yeah, but it's still that's not the, the answer. The answer is yeah. Trick question. The answer is ETFs control about ten percent of our money. Mutual funds still dominate ninety percent of our money. So yes. a, a lot of slagging going on to these mutual funds, and perhaps it's going to be a slow death. I tell you a stock that Jack and I do own that actually has disappointed us recently. And that's BlackRock. It's the world's, and you know the company very very well. Is it Fink who runs that company? Um, uh, and again, you speak about his, his and, and Tony Dwyer spoke about his credit analysis, and he's totally in your camp. Uh, there's no credit crises whatsoever. Lots of liquidity available, which means hopefully the bull market continues. But to make a long story short, the BlackRock stock, the largest uh, producers of ETFs, money, r- running over a trillion dollars of monies, uh, and the stock is getting no love, which means ultimately this market right now is very much being driven by sentiment. People don't care that forward earnings were great. They, they have a little bit of love for Microsoft perhaps this week. It put in a good quarter. But we're seeing, Jack, and our, our, our stocks that we own, Jack, how many of our companies have beaten estimates? Uh, that we, you and I own. I think 100%. 100%, I think, is correct. And, and the market that, does not care. The, the market doesn't For the care, time being. For the time being. But we're, we're getting annihilated, Brian. So we need to call a friend uh, to hold our hand. And, well, the credit market, uh, you spoke about Uber and how they had no trouble raising $2 billion on a $1.5 billion offer. Uh, well, so well oversubscribed by very smart money. That, too, was a very good data point. We're going to get you back on the show, Brian. I want to wish you a great season. And, hey, my friend, go Leafs go. You know that, right? I'll see you on Bay Street in June. All right, pal. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Thank you. All right, folks. Tell me up next. We are going to speak with. Uh, yeah, uh, A&W. Uh, Don Leslie, the CFO of A&W, uh, because you know, my good friends, it is beyond meat. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Well, you know what that is. It's the A&W, maybe you don't know. It's the A&W jingle uh, here on Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, we have Don Leslie on. We've had him on the show before. Uh, full disclosure, yes, full disclosure. Uh, Wolfgang, Jack, and I own A&W stock. We own it for our clients. We personally hold it. Family members own it. There's full disclaimer. Uh, and we like owning the A&W stock. It's a little pricey in here, I think. Um, but if you want quality... Well, it works. Uh, you know, I'm watching the Pizza Pizza Income Trust, and A&W was an income trust. If you remember those back in the day where you guys have a big fat dividend for a mature business, and uh, A&W was a royalty trust, so it was basically uh, royalty rights to the name. Uh, but uh, I'm watching the Pizza Pizza Income Trust. Boy, that thing's been getting hammered. Uh, we don't own that. We do own the keg. We own a bit of Roger's Sugar, and we own A&W. But it, get- it shows you with A&W, it's, it's a good quality company, like you say. Uh, revenue is growing, and our distributions, our income uh, that we receive... Is, are, growing, are, are, is well, growing accordingly. It's a dividend grower, and who doesn't want to own a dividend grower? Um, well, Don Leslie's a CFO, and I guess, well, being the chief financial officer, you hold the kitty, and that's such a key to it. And well, thanks for the dividend increases, pal. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. Uh, so, Don Leslie, we have you uh, on the line here. Um, Kate Hartle, uh, Jack's wife, was uh, Jonesen. Uh, for a Beyond well, <clears throat> Meat burger. She she uh, had the Beyond Meat burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they sold out. Yeah. Well, uh, then she kept going back to see, because there were signs up, I guess, at your drive-thru that they were not available. Uh, and every time she went through, she let me know that uh, 
you know, she went through, grabbed the coffee, no Beyond Meat Burger, but uh, she was Joan and she was really looking forward to the, them coming back and they did, which is great. So the funny thing is that we also have a butcher uh, online who's a vegan, I believe. Uh, uh, she was formerly our producer of the show, but she qu- sort of quit on Jack and I. I don't know what we did to her, but uh, Br- Brittany the Butcher, we call her. Uh, so she's a trained butcher, um, works at Lobb and also works here at Chorus Entertainment. And uh, she tried your Beyond Meat Burger and is, oh my God, they're coming to the studio. Can't wait. Love the product. Hey, eh, Brittany? I am a huge fan. They're one of the best burgers I've ever had. But no, Jack, so when you when when you when you went back to AW, Jack, yeah. um, and, and uh, what what so Kate find it great, it's back and so we so yeah, so yeah. it was back, so it was great. Uh, my wife's very excited. Um we drove out to Peterborough to watch a game. Uh, we were late, so we're like, all right, we need a bit of a, a quick Jack, service Jack was meal. seeing his old buddies at the Peterborough Pete's folks. Right. So yeah. so we went back and we said, All right, uh, we quick service, so we'll go to A and W and grab a burger and beyond meat burger for my wife. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there in the parking lot eating in, or she is, and she's uh, she starts <laughs> Come on. Yeah, she was, gonna, she, she was gonna she started to like think that she was eating a meat burger because it was so good. She's like, I think they actually put the wrong burger um or gave me the wrong burger. She thought you got the mama burger. Yeah. But anyways, it wasn't. Uh but she was just so impressed with it. No, uh, no, Jack, come on, there's more to it than it. What did she say to you? She thought, was, you know, she thought she was going to be sick because she thought she was eating a regular burger, but it wasn't. Yeah, she said, oh my God, Jack, I it think I'm going to be sick. It takes a while to get used to. Even when I had it the first time, I was like, there's no way that this exactly. is a vegetarian That's the burger. Point. And like my fiance is also vegetarian and and now we're used to it because I haven't eaten meat in years, but I love it. It's it's great. <laughs> so you oh, used sorry. to eat, Brittany, you used to eat meat. I did. Uh, and yeah. you're still a butcher. I don't know how you do that being yeah. a vegan. But so, so you think it actually tastes like meat? It does. Like at first, it's a lot to get used to, but then you do enjoy it because... I don't know if you used to eat meat, sometimes you do miss it. So if you ever have like a craving, it's the perfect place to go. But uh, yeah, it's vegetarian. So it's Would you dare put bacon on it? Because you know what bacon uh, does? I've never. Bacon makes everything better. I'll have the, I'll have the, I'll have the uh, everything beyond meat burger with, with double bacon, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about that move? But you know, you know what's incredible, Don? Is the first time I had a um, veggie burger uh, was out west. I was skiing at, uh, not Big White, at. Um, Fernie. Silver Star or Fernie? Fernie. I was yeah. skiing Fernie. And at the top of the hill on a cold day, I went to a little hut and my kid had a couple of hot dogs and I decided to have a veggie burger just because that's what you do when you're in British Columbia. But your head office is in Vancouver. So, you know, I'm going to say, you know, the, the people in the West, you think a little differently. Um, yeah. Any, any, any talk? I'm going to give you a marketing idea. In fact, a stock push idea here, buddy. Why don't you come up with a um, cannabis CBD infused burger, baby? Through the roof goes your stock. Trust me, I have firsthand experience with this stuff here because anyone talks infusing uh, their items, beverages right now with um, little uh, Mary Jane uh, CBD. Woo! Up goes the stock, pal. Straight up. Mm. Higher. You ever think about that? Well, I wouldn't say it's in our <laughs> testing plan. Yeah, but back moment, up. You, but, you, uh, you got your tomato, wink, wink, tomatoes figured out. You, 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 you source yeah. local tomatoes. You know, back in the day, they called growing marijuana growing tomatoes. So yeah. you're, you're, you're pretty close as far as very, I can Very, very on trend with a lot of the stuff that they do. It is. But, you know, your cheese. I mean, we you do, can do eat. a lot of research. And I mean, where Beyond Meat came from and also where we got to with our natural ingredients was just listening to our guests. And uh, hearing what they wanted to, you know, in the restaurants. And um, and more often than not, I mean, taste has a lot to do with it, but they feel it's it's better for them as well when we go to much more natural products. Better for the environment and, uh, you know, and better for our guests. Hey, good for you, by the way, for getting rid of the plastic straw. Uh, yep. I, I, tip, I went to a fashion show uh, last week. Um, uh, what was the name of the show again called? Uh, Oh, so we had them on the air. Anyways, it was a great fashion show to make a long story short. And so they had little gift bags and they handed out a bottle of water and inside it was a glass straw. 
Right. I, I don't yeah. get it. I don't get the glass straw. Anyone here get the glass straw? Never seen one before. Glass straw. <clears throat> yeah. Well, did, did, but he doesn't glass, uh, and I've seen you, but you, but you do paper, right? You, you, you do paper straws. Yes. I like paper yeah. straws. I yeah. really, I really like paper straws. Don They're makes an important fashion. point, though. He I says, mean, "Listen to your customers." Uh, that's what we had way back when in the fifties and sixties. So uh, when, when that jingle was produced, I believe. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Don, I have to ask you. Um, a and W very dominant in, in in what I would call secondary markets. In other words, when I drive through Aurelia going to my cottage, uh, I think I stumble across at least two A and Ws within short distance from one another. Mm-hmm. But in the downtown core in Toronto, you're seeing a few pop up, but you're not nearly as dominant as you know. Obviously, the Tim Hortons of the world, the McDonald's of the world. So, and competing with them, I tip my hat to you. I, I hate to say it, I see competition for your veggie burger come because they're, they're going to take your good idea and run with it. So. You have mm-hmm. to somehow corner that puppy. I never tried your cod, bur- or your was it the cod? Uh, yeah, th- that sounded interesting, um, but it, it was a huge hit. <laughs> but sold, but sold out as well, eh? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it takes uh, because of the sustainable nature of it and how it's caught. It takes some time. We just can't go to the local uh, grocery store and pick some up. So, uh, well, the moratorium in Newfoundland's still on. The cod moratorium has been on forever. Uh, so, where, where, where do you guys poaching? You poaching cod? No, no, no poach. <laughs> all right, that's a all from sustainable and line caught. Uh, so it uh, line caught, really? Yep, line caught with a fisherman. Yeah, really casting, casting a rod. Really yeah. pulled so, in. That's as I one as by I one. So it's uh, but it's um, you guys hear? Uh, have you guys not heard of nets out in uh, Nova Scotia for us? So it, uh, I don't know all the details, but it's. Uh, we're certainly, uh, it's MSC certified, uh, Marine Stewardship Council certified. So uh, we're making sure we're doing it the right way. Yeah. And not, uh, as you say, uh, doing uh, <laughs> pillaging things. But uh, But it's, um, no, it's been, uh, it, ha- it was a great quarter. It's been a great year. And uh, on your comment about downtown Toronto, our strategy actually, uh, I mean, we're much stronger out west and we're, we're growing as fat very quickly in Ontario. But for a while, our our strategy was to actually get outside the GTA um, into those markets like Aurelia, Windsor, London, partly because we used to be in those markets back in the 50s and 60s. And so when you go to those markets, there's a lot of, there was already a lot of brand familiarity. You know why? You know, I tell you something. I got a point on this, and this is never scientifically proven, but I always find when I go out of the 416-905 area, you know what kicks in? And I should have the... Um, who did the song here? Anyway, time Warp. Who did Time Warp? Let's do the Time Warp. Oh, yeah. from uh, yeah. Rocky. It's, it's always a, Rocky. a, a Rocky or a picture. It's always a yeah. Time Warp. It's just a throwback. Music, well, it fashion. It, it really is. And it's such, I can see yeah. why A&W would actually uh, be able to, uh, you know, d- d- well, you go into yeah, places like Mississauga and Scarborough, you know, 10 years ago, it, nobody knew who A&W was. Right. Whereas those are now actually strong markets for us. But for, you know, probably 10 years, we had a, a no-build uh zone in the 416 just because there's much more opportunity for us outside that area but we're certainly building a lot of urban locations you know and closer to downtown toronto yep um and continuing to look for more sites because there's certainly a lot of people there and particularly with a lot more condos coming into the market uh, you know where people are actually living there 
uh, you know, so you can get the dinner business, and you know, you can satisfy a lot of guests. And you, 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 and I see here you also you just got Uber Eats on board, so that that'll yeah. certainly help with downtown condos and the like. Look, I, I uh, we have to hop here, Dom, but yeah. uh, you know, we own your stock, so uh, we saw your quarterly results come out. I'll tell you, most impressively, um, regardless of economic activities, companies like yours, you know, are for the most part relatively recession proof. And you know, yeah. looking at the month of October, which has been absolute pain uh your stock is held in like a champion i guess uh, yeah, kate, no, sure. you know, kate and Brittany are keeping you guys afloat with the beyond meat burgers that's so great i appreciate you keep a, that don't forget my idea cbd okay all uh, right we'll, 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 we'll talk to you my good friend thanks very much you're welcome uh okay folks we're gonna uh, get back to uh school break is over with the a and w little lunch break we're gonna get kevin muir online we've had him on many times uh i'm gonna forewarn you he's gonna dovetail well into jeremy the bear because kevin is very bearish too uh, so it's going to be interesting. We had Brian on who was bullish, and Kevin is going to be bearish. Uh, nonsense, I'm going to say to him, but we'll see right after this. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You know, I'll tell you something, Jack. It has been one crazy week. Uh feel almost like a train wreck, uh, but not quite. Uh, you know, it was par for the course. And uh, I remember back in uh, 2002 when we were going through the tech wreck, and I would do a uh, talk on 640, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. When I started my broadcast uh, business career, I shall say, was actually on this radio station. Uh, in 2001, it was September of 2001, and the whole thing started to unravel. And uh, we just speak about it being a roller coaster ride, up and down, up and down, because there certainly are upticks in a down market. Uh, but uh, and we have Kevin Muir uh, uh, in studio. He's going to be here for the rest of the show. Uh, the macro tourist. He also is now working with the East West Investment Management. Um, Kevin, you got a big brain, and I'm seeing that your work is getting picked up by a lot more people. You just mentioned to us that. Uh, one of your articles uh, was, uh, I guess, retweeted on or, or re- republished on Zero Hedge, uh, which is a very, very good uh, online website for market-related articles. And 250,000 people hit the piece. Eh? That's right. If you're bearish, you got to read Zero Hedge. It's the doom and gloom. Uh... So I, I read the piece, in fact. It, it was on Millennials. What was the headline on it? Um, I, you know what? You caught me off guard. That, that's I, all right. I don't actually remember. I it was just, a couple of days ago. I did make fun <laughs> of both millennials and Gen X, which I am. Um, and I'm Gen a, X with you. Yeah. Oh, Gen Barely. X. And, uh, and if you go and you look at the article, I kind of laughed and said, you know, right. I, I was making fun of the millennials because they're making the mistake that all kind of investors have made throughout the years. And that is they're chasing growth stocks right until the end. And uh, I've had a couple of different pieces that went through it and showed how they're investing in the FANG stocks and those stocks that are just flying high. Um, I, I did a study the other day about how many stocks within the U.S. market are trading at 10 times revenues. Right. And it was it was a level approaching uh, the 2000s. And uh, there's a very famous quote from S- Scott McNeely, which at the time was the CEO of uh, Sun Microsystems, which... For the millennials that don't don't remember that, but it, you know, for the Gen Xers, that was the computers. That was the uh, computers that were the backbone of the internet. And actually, on the trading desk, we actually had a bunch of uh, different sunboxes. And uh, McNeely talked about the fact that if you're buying a stock at ten times revenues, and he went through the math of how much you're like what you what has to go right for you to expect to make that money back. He says, think about it for a second. 
you're going to have costs to create that. You're going to have taxes to pay. You're going to have uh, expenses in terms of uh, the uh, the staff. And then, and then you look at it and you say, how many years does that have to go on for me to actually ever make back my money? And he, and his conclusion was that the, the valuation was just absurd. And a lot of those stocks went from 200 down to $10. Yeah, well, now Microsoft back then, it probably had that kind of valuation. And uh, funny, because Jack and I were talking about this, companies have to often grow into those numbers. And you're basically saying often they don't. And sometimes they do. Coca-Cola grew into outrageous multiples of 35. It just shows you how much (coughs) enthusiasm is is priced into those stocks at certain periods of time. And sometimes that enthusiasm is well-founded, but it could be 20 or 30 years down the road before they actually grow into the the type of multiples that you're actually talking about with earnings. And we right. saw that we saw that with Microsoft. But we did indeed. Yeah. But for every Microsoft there's a Sun Microsystems yep. that that went kaput and uh and that's what's happening with the millennials as they're chasing all these stocks yep. and uh they're investing in all these high growth flying stocks and they're leaving the value stocks um well, what do you up- think they're buying? Cuz I think they're buying pot stocks. Well, and I guess that's another one of the latest crazes. Um, so, you know, I was going to laugh when you, the E&W, you managed to work pot into that. And uh, I was wondering how long our conversation would be before <laughs> you worked pot into this one. But you're absolutely right. The pot stocks are uh, the hot stuff for the young people to trade. Um, I personally think it was a sell-on news kind of event. I was well, talking it was, about without question. yeah, and uh, the day before uh, the actual legalization, I said you should be short these things because the amount of hype that's in this—they're just yeah. They're, you you were wrong by 24 hours on that statement, my friend. Way wrong. You're way <laughs> way early with that statement. I think within a, two days, it was, it was 72 was, hours. That's right. Within two yeah. days, it was down all the, down a third across the board. Well, the next trade, the next trade we're going to say on that is the American companies uh, that are coming up here. That's what the next wave is, and there's a lot of uh, uh, buying, buying rumor, i.e. legalization at the federal level and selling news. And, and I think that story is going to get stretched because I think the federal level is going to move slower than many people think. Anyways, going to pay some bills around here, but we got Kevin for the rest of the show. Kevin Muir, he's, he's the author of The Macro Tourist, um, uh, East-West Investment Management. He's going to tell us right after this how you can uh, subscribe for free to his very heady and brilliant newsletter. Stay tuned right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You know, Kevin, that's what I like to do when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling low down. I like to play some music that makes me feel good. Uh, you picked that one for the show. It's been a tough month, man, uh, from a stock market perspective. Uh, I'm sorry to say, like, I was just looking at some of, you, some of our, our work. My work has been killed in the month of October. I'm sorry, down like, you know, down 8, 9, 10% uh, for growth. Uh, balance, of course, down last, conservative down last, down about 4 or 5 for the month of October. The funny thing with the market is that we're in the middle of earnings right now, and earnings are coming in quite strong. They're up over 20% year over year. I mean, yeah, the that's market, huge. The market did expect that, so that's basically that's coming in as expectations or maybe slightly a bit higher. But at the moment, the market does not care. It, it is trading on fear. It's trading on sentiment. Uh, it's trading on technicals. And that's just And it. a lot of these technical 
levels are getting breached. That's just concerning. it. So, so Kevin, again, once again, the market doesn't care. Jack and I care as fundamentalists, but we're also respectful of the tape. And we have Brian Reynolds on, and Brian Reynolds uh, is, a, is our asset class strategist, Kevin. He says share buybox continues because the credit boom continues because there is uh, a, 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 such appetite um, on the supply side for uh, new issuance. In other words, companies, pension funds are willing to lend money to anyone who wants it, i.e. corps, uh, to get any kind of a spread over government paper. Uh, Uber uh, raised $2 billion. They, they, they came to market with $1.5 billion. This is private. And they ended up raising $2 billion. And that money was distributed to few hands. Big institutions took big chunks of that piece of paper. I don't know what the terms were, but they were favorable terms. I know same with Netflix came back. Came Net- Netflix, back. same thing. So... You don't do that if you're going into recession. Companies aren't lending money that readily if you're heading into recession. And again, the stock market every year has two or three periods where it fluctuates 5 to 10%. That's absolutely normal. And in fact, we've been pounding the table since 2009, Kevin. And Brian said this morning, there's been 35 corrections just like this. So the big question, Jack, and I have to Kevin Muir from the Macros Tourist uh, is... Is this the big granddaddy of bear markets to come, or is this? Are we already partway through it? How far through it? Uh, give me some hope, or you know, give me more fear. Whatever you want. <laughs> well, I, I'm not as bearish as, as some of the my hedge fund brethren that uh, are pounding the table, thinking this is the beginning of the end of the world. Um, on Brian's point about the buybacks, one of the reasons um, this is a little bit technical, but one of the reasons the stock market's had a tough week is that as you go into earnings seasons. Many of these companies that are doing buybacks are actually uh, blacked out. So they're not allowed to buy back their shares. We spoke about that with Brian. He said, actually, yes. that's not really the case anymore. What, uh, what, what was his argument? His argument, it depends on the company. So some do, some don't. Some allow it, some don't allow it yeah. during quiet but, period. But if you um, go look at the seasonality of it, you'll see that oftentimes during earnings, that's been one of the weaker times for the market. And without question, this earnings season, especially with the downdraft that we've had, those buyback desks are not stepping in. They're not stabilizing it. If they're going to buy back their stock, they want to see some kind of floor in the stock price so they can participate on the upside. So now, when you go look at the world stock markets, though, you know, you're talking about the pain of this month. And it has been painful in the U.S. and Canada. But really, a lot of the world stock markets have been in a bear market for the past year. You go look at emerging markets. Emerging markets are down fifteen percent. Uh, Shanghai's at a four-year low. That's right. And uh, and and Europe's, you know, in the in the doghouse. And there's all sorts of markets throughout the world that have been having trouble. And the U.S. was the last man standing. And in fact, it wasn't just the U.S. It was U.S. stocks, but it was a very specific sector of the U.S. stocks. It was it was the growth stocks. It was those momentum stocks. And they were the last ones leading this charge. And what's interesting about this, this recent dip is the fact that for the first time, it was actually led by the winners. So the real question is, was this the final hurrah? Was this the last kind of, uh, you know, soldier? Well, yeah, mark- markets were making new highs, my friend, a month ago. So are, those, are, are the highs in or are we going through them and back up? Well, in the next 18 months, in your opinion. I, I, I'm not sure if or, I can or, tell or, you or that, but I definitely, uh, one of the things I can tell you is that I definitely think it's going to be more volatile. Okay. And you go back to the 2000s, even as the market was approaching those highs and, and, and going back and forth, we got more and more volatile. 
And I think that's one of the things that people are missing. Many people are all upset about the fact that we're up down 2% and they think that it's uh, this chug higher of, of, you know, 30 basis points a day and it's just kind of nice, simple thing. Yeah, well, no. that's not how the stock market works. No, no. This, up, no, no. Up, it's getting up, back up, to up, escalator down elevators. Get, get, getting back to that millennial uh, point that you made at the beginning too, the more risk that you took on, you know, in the last couple of years, the more you're rewarded, which only encourages you to take on more risk. And at some point that game stops. Right. So, but the question that Howard Marks is one of our, um, I won't say mentors, but uh, Jack and I both really respect Howard Marks. And again, he speaks to when is there risk? When the market is at an all-time high or when is that an all-time low? Look, we're going to pay some commercial breaks. You guys ponder that, top up your cup of coffee, get back to Hi-Fi Radio. We're in studio with Kevin Murth, author of The Macro Tourist, a big, big brain. And, well, this man's going viral. So we're going to help you uh, jump on that train. And it's not crazy. No, 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 not here on Hi-Fi Radio. Stay tuned. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. That's fun. Well, Kevin Mir picked that one, eh? Uh, sorry, I, I forgot the name of the artist. Violent Femmes. The Violent Femmes. That's such a cool tune. Very, very 90s, although it's probably written in the 80s, I'm going to guess. I think it's 80s. I think it's 80s. Cool tune. Yeah. All right, Kevin, we've only got a few minutes here. First of all, uh, your gentleman for joining us. I know it's been a very, very busy uh, month. You leaving a trading desk is big, and as such, for your time, we shall give you extended plug. So uh, let's start with uh, how do people uh, make contact with you and befriend you and uh, receive some of your wisdom? Well, the Macro Tourist blog, you can sign up for free at themacrotourist.com. Mm -hmm. Themacrotourist.com. Yeah, yeah, and it's a free newsletter I send out kind of a few times a week, depending on how busy I am. Yep. And then the other thing is, if you're a Canadian investor and you're looking for a little bit longer term stuff, and uh, something that's not, the Macro Tourist is more oriented towards the traders, but the investors, uh, I asked to go to eastwestfunds.com. And you can sign up there and we have a variety of different research pieces that we go through. And I'm actually in the process of writing an emerging markets piece because uh, we believe that emerging markets are actually a great diversifier for a portfolio. You uh, basically reduce the risk of your portfolio yet achieve the same sort of returns over the long run. And emerging markets are down and out and it's a great, uh, we think it's a great time to buy some emerging markets. That, that gets right to your point there, Wolfgang. You were asking about Howard Marks. Are markets more risky when they're high, high valuations, or low when they're depressed? So, Kevin? Well, for the short, the, the answer is in the long run, buying new highs is, is often um, a, a long-term proposition to lose money. But over the short run, it's, it's, uh, it's much more easy and it feels better. So, Howard Marks will be the first to tell you that when trading is easy, it's going to lose you money in the long run. But uh, that trading, buying stuff that is cheap and down and out is very difficult. That's painful trading. That's right. The, and? The, the psychological. And the, but the outcome to the pain trade is. Well, eventually, you know, markets mean revert and that uh, you'll do better over the long run buying stock, you know, indices or stocks that are cheaper and not chasing the latest fad. But it's very tough. All your neighbors are making money on their pot stocks as, uh, as Wolf and you guys all do, and uh, you want to be part of the action, so you chase and chase. I don't chase. I don't chase. I, don't chase. <laughs> I say be, being, being a contrarian is not easy. You're not following the herd. You're doing something different. You're yeah. looking for something that other people don't see, and you're looking for value where the market, for the time being, is not looking, which is important. I, yeah, I, but you know what, I'm, I'm going to close, and we do have an interest of time here, Kevin. Uh, Kevin Muir, Macro Tourist, if you want to get a hold of his piece, themacrotourist.com, or check out the company he, he runs money with at East West Investment Management. Um 
But do you think we're going into bear market? Yay or nay? Um, I think that we're going to go into a challenging period for the stock, for financial assets in general. So I don't know if it'll be a bear market as such. Which, but is, which is where the market falls 20%. And it's already down, uh, well, from peak to, tr- peak to current, it's down 10%. That's correct. And I think, though, the real worry that you have is the fact that what happens if we get a situation where both bonds and stocks go down together? And that is something we haven't seen in, tw- in, in decades. Well, interest rates rise. That's right. All else being equal, bonds do fall. Rates are rising. That's right. But usually what happens when risk assets are sold off, meaning that when stocks get into trouble, the bonds rally. Correct. Money sh- and we saw that. We sort of saw that last week where they didn't rally, and then they finally rallied once we got enough downward it, draft. It, and it was very, very uh, kind of muted. And the real, it was. And the real scare for portfolios out there for everyone is, what if we get in a situation where stocks go down and bonds aren't a stabilizer that help offset that that loss. risk yeah yeah well cash would certainly help offset that risk um bitcoin wouldn't do it and i don't know about gold uh kevin muir the macro tourist the macro tourist.com uh you're a staple on hi-fi radio um you you think differently and as such uh, you provide us with a, pr- a fresh perspective and i really appreciate that uh jack is always is real fun working with you and jeremy the bear running the board because Brittany the butcher well she's looking for a beyond meat burger right here right now i want to wish you all a great weekend and i want to thank you for tuning in to hi-fi radio and jack and i will be back next week right here right then all the best Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.